I don't want my work to always look the same. I I want mm. to adapt and like really listen to the story and really sink to the vision of the director and I have to really care about the story and I and I have to like emotionally connect some way. Like I, I don't think I'm really more about style. I think I'm more about story and then that kind of informs the way I like to shoot things. Let's Shoot with Pete Chapman is a podcast on directing for anybody that's quite simply ever watched anything. Pete converses with a wide range of fellow directors, writers, actors, showrunners, producers, executives, and more on a journey to determine just what makes a good director and why we'll always need stories. The Director is Pete Chapman's digital studio, built on the pillars of craftsmanship that ensure a unique vision. I'm talking about story, innovation, perspective. Learn more about The Director, and better yet, get your official director's chair wear by visiting www.drctr.video. That's drctr.video. Right, what's up, people? This is Pete Chapman welcoming you to episode 12 of Let's Shoot with Pete Chapman. And I hope everybody's doing well. Uh, thanks for rolling with us for the first 11 episodes. If you have not heard them all, double back, make that U-turn, uh, which in LA, you can seemingly make a U-turn anywhere at any time in this traffic, but go make that U-turn and head on back and listen to some of the archive that we have. Uh, you know, I want to do a quick shout out uh, for some information that's important as we move toward November uh, and the presidential election. Uh, I recently found out that the average poll worker in this country is 72 years old. And as you can imagine, um, with COVID, that's going to have an effect on how many poll workers we have available to work the polls. Um, and with the heightened uh, use of more technologically advanced voting equipment. Uh, that's another reason that uh, we're going to need more people to work the polls. So I strongly encourage people to check out workelections.com. That's workelections.com and get involved. Go work at that polling place uh, and help out because if we don't have enough people to work the polls, then those polls don't open. You know, coming off the Democratic National Convention, which I think was very well done, uh, particularly with Zoom um, and the challenges of that, because y'all know Zoom is challenging. Uh, I thought that was really, really well done. And I just want to make sure that uh, we get people out to as many polls as possible and uh, we fight the good fight out here. Now, this week, our guest on episode 12 is Paula Widobro. You are probably familiar with her as the cinematographer on Barry, uh, where she shot the first two seasons. Uh, she also shot several episodes of Insecure in season three, including the one that I directed. And uh, she did the first season of Gronish, which is where we met in September of 2017. So uh, it's been super cool watching her journey as a, as a cinematographer. In this episode, you'll learn about uh, 
how she's transitioned from uh, growing up in Mexico City uh, to, you know, making it to Hollywood and beyond. And uh, I think if you check out her Instagram, she might be in Paris now. So she's a, a world traveler uh, with a camera and a great eye. Um, so we're going to dive into that. Um, I will check you out and I'll return after the interview. See you on the backside. And then for those of you who are listening, perhaps uh, via Spotify or Apple or whatever, um, just know you can always go to YouTube and check out the podcast video version. So here we go. Episode 12, Paolo Widobro. Let's shoot. Roll sound. Speed. The interview. Take one. So tell me, so you grew up in, in Mexico City. Like, how, how'd, you, how'd you arrive here on this podcast? What's your life been like? <laughs> tell me everything. I was always, like, I, I started studying photography when I was, um, like, a teenager in a, in a really cool museum. And it was a, a really amazing teacher who would, like, show us, like, Salgado and Henry Cartier-Bresson and, like, Capa and, and, like, a bunch of Mexican great photographers and to me, it was a way to start becoming an adult and start becoming interested in the world and also a way where I could meet people that I liked and that felt like really incredible to me because I was young and they were older. Or And then we would watch all these photographs and then he would discuss like about framing and lighting and like just connecting with the outside world and being learning how to see and that really kind of started my path to become a cinematographer. What were some of the first, uh, like, uh, so what, what struck you first? Like, was it composition? Was it lighting? Like, did you have a thing that kind of clicked for you like first when you were being exposed to I these think it was artists and what images? What fascinated me the most was learning how to see and like pay attention to the world. I was my favorite part, like being aware of like everything around you. And it was like a way to connect to the world for me. And then, yeah. And then like after mm -hmm. that, then mm -hmm. I started like really fascinated about framing and, and then lighting like it was pre pretty incredible. And then I think as you, as you learn and you like study cinematography, first then then you start understanding like about like camera movement and choices and editing so i think it's a, a progression you went to london international film school right yes and so bef before that were you taking any formalized like cinematography classes or was that like your your kind of first step into like the education of a cinematographer specifically well i was i was as a teenager i was also studying like french film and louise buñuel uh, and, like all these little classes that were pretty incredible and and then i finished high school and i went right to london to the london international film school and i chose that because it was only two years and i didn't have to study any math or science like in the u.s <laughs> And also, uh, you learn how to shoot on film because it was like right when the transition was starting to happen. And I really wanted to learn how to shoot on film. So right. we did a bunch right. of short films. I think that's awesome. I actually keep my, this is a, 
super rate camera I have, uh, a Canon 814. And like we used to shoot on these back in high school. And I, I kind of, I wonder how much is lost for like a lot of folks coming up now who haven't had that process of shooting on film and that pressure, but also the like technical, um, it's not just turning a knob, like you have to like really know what you're doing um, in order to get an image. Do you, do you miss that? Do you, do you shoot on film anymore or is it all in all video world for you? It's mostly a video world, unfortunately, but I'm grateful that I learn how to have the discipline to know how to expose and like know how to just rely on your eye for lighting because it's it's really different now like now you almost just use the monitor and the frame to look at the light instead of using your eyes because and then so i feel like i've been losing a little bit of that and, and i would love to get it back and also i mean the element of slight surprise of seeing the film for the first time because you you don't I mean, it's not as clear as when you're just watching a monitor. Right, right. Do you find now <clears throat> you have more conversations with like producers and and writers because they're looking at a monitor and are able to kind of get some representation of what the final image is going to look like that's more close than it used to be when it was on film? Yeah, you definitely can't get away with as much. <laughs> well yeah i i remember back in the day i i used to uh i mean i am no dp i've, I've shot a bunch of stuff at, at obviously as video became more of a thing um but i remember plenty of projects where i would just ask the dp like it's gonna look right right it's gonna <laughs> it's, it's gonna it's gonna come out it's gonna be like it's gonna be dark in the sky you know, um, and you would just have to trust that they uh, they weren't trying to make their own reel and that they were going to do what they, they were uh, saying. Um, so, yeah, it's interesting. I can only imagine now you just have a bunch of people looking at the monitor saying, why is that so blue? You know? Yeah, I mean, some. Mm, I mean, it still can look different than what the money, like the final product. But, yeah, I think it's a lot closer to the reality and I think uh, I think it allows a lot more people to have an opinion than they did before. So after your three years in London, did you did you stay any time beyond your education or did you go right to uh, AFI? Well, I stayed a little bit lower. I, I kind of delayed my studies and I was able to do more short films and I did one in South Africa, which was pretty awesome. And, but yeah, I guess London wasn't for me. I never felt quite at home, even though it was really interesting. And then I, I just really wanted to learn the American way. And I, I always admire American cinematographers and I wanted to see what it was like here. And I, I felt that AFI was more disciplined and, and I, I was pretty ambitious back then. So I, I really wanted to come here. I, I feel you've maintained your ambition. <laughs> um, and so so you you kind of you went to South Africa, you shot a short. What was what was that first short? Was that the first short that you shot or like uh, out of the school environment? No, it was like a, one of my thesis uh, student films. OK, but it was pretty awesome to go to South Africa. It was 
I don't know, just like getting to see another town completely different. And like we were, we were shooting in shanty towns and it was all local actors. And so I've never had access to another culture like that. Having gone from Mexico to London and now being here in, in the States, like, do you carry that kind of uh, visual curiosity with you because you're kind of hopping around? Yeah, I mean, I think definitely there's still things in the U.S. that feel very foreign to me. And, uh-huh. I, and I enjoy that when when you see something and it still feels strange or new or interesting and I think you have to stay curious and you have to stay interested in really watching things and so after so you come to AFI how long is that program AFI is two years long and it was a really great experience for me what's different uh as far as it because that's a conservatory if I'm not mistaken right Right. Uh, yeah it's supposed to be a post-grad so a lot of people have either gone to, uh, I don't know, have done college or they've worked uh, on the industry or. So I guess it's more for people that really know what they want to do. And then you um, you have to choose your discipline. So there's like 15 students of each program and everyone tries to be very serious about it. So. How did you how did you get in? Um, I had that. Well, I submitted my short films, and and I came for an interview as well to LA. And so, you get to AFI. Were you amongst uh, any other students who are now like working professionally, like yourself? Yeah, I was in the same class of uh, uh, Sam Ismail, the guy of Mr. Robert, and also uh, Jonathan Levine, who did Dope and. Mm-hmm. I don't know, there's some other people, but I guess those two are the most successful. Right, right. How would you define your style? Mm, I mean, I think I don't want my work to always look the same. I I want to mm-hmm. adapt and like really listen to the story and really sink to the vision of the director and like feel for the characters and make each thing its own thing. Uh, right. I think my style maybe is like I, I have to really care about the story, and I, and I have to like emotionally connect some way. Like I, I don't think I'm really more about style. I think I'm more about story, and then that kind of informs the way I like to shoot right. things. I feel like <clears throat> I mean, having worked with you on two different things, um, there's. I mean, obviously, there's differences between grownish and insecure, right? Just by virtue of cable versus premium cable and um, the subject matter, right? Um, but I feel, I'd agree, I feel there's like a story driven approach that kind of is put first and foremost, and it doesn't feel like you're out here trying to build a reel on every, on every project. Um, yet you end up building a reel because it's a visual handshake to what's happening on the page. Um, with that in mind, how do you, what's your process? You get a script and you read it, I'm sure a few times. And then like, how do you, how do you get into 
your cinematographer or your DP mode. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I guess once you get the job, like, you discuss, like, maybe films that the director likes or maybe, like, films that you thought about while you were reading the script. And then, like, you can also share, like, some photographs or, like, just kind of general references about what each of you likes. And then I also would love to talk in general about the character or like what really drew the director to that project or just what makes the film really special and what's kind of the essence of the film to capture. And then after that, I feel like once you're kind of in the same wavelength, I love shot listing mm -hmm. if possible. And like there was something magical of going to a space and with the director and like trying to imagine what the actors are going to do and then like really talk about shots and like I don't know just try to really care about how you tell the story instead of being generic and trying to like see how the how the characters would see themselves you know? right do you typically shot list with the director yeah I mean I that's my favorite way of working mm -hmm. there's there's some directors that prefer to do the shot list themselves and then you sort of go over it with them and, and then there's other directors that don't really like to do any shot list and then you kind of discover it when you're on set or right. there's some directors that just let me do whatever i want and then they, <laughs> they just comment but my favorite is collaborating yeah, and, I'm, I'm... like challenging each other and like being present and mm -hmm. like having a bomb. You you make I'm wondering I, I'm trying to remember what we did on Insecure. I, I'm I'm trying to remember if we collaborated or if I went off to a cave and then came back, because I know for a lot of TV, at least the more broadcast TV, personally I like to do it on my own, because you're tr I'm trying to figure it out before. I get the kind of show DNA like poured over me. Um, but I feel like, I can't remember. I feel like we might've, I don't remember what I did when we worked on that. Yeah, I, don't, I mean, I think it's definitely, I prefer when, yeah, the director like has an idea of what they want and then you can build from there instead of just being all my own. Mm -hmm. Do you, do you, does your, how does your process differ going from uh, a film uh, versus like TV? And then uh, this is kind of a bunch of questions in one. And then is it different on something like Barry or Insecure that's like premium cable versus like broadcast um, uh, TV? And I know you exist kind of more on the premium side, but just like, what, if anything, is different in how you approach that work? I mean, I think there's different levels of care from, like, the producers and the showrunners, and you want to be on the shows that everyone cares about the quality of the work and the end product. And right. And I think, I mean, some, some shows you don't really have time to prepare with the director. Like, you get maybe a meeting and then... They show up and you have to like work together so that's not as much fun as when you get more time and think about things together is there anything you wouldn't shoot 
Like, you know what I mean? Like, is there, is it, uh, would you not do something that's... I think I wouldn't do, like, dumb comedies. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> I hope. Versus, uh, versus the people who are like, all I want to do is dumb comedies. <laughs> no, I think I would suffer. Yeah. I, I, my soul could not take it. How do you get your jobs? I get my jobs... Um, yeah, they, they sometimes just look at my at my at my reel and they respond to the work and then you get to read the script and then you have a meeting and, and you sort of have to connect like vibe wise and like sort of the vision of the story and then I mean people always check your references and I find it easier to get a job when they know someone that you you've worked with before and mm-hmm. Because it's always like a leap of faith to work with someone new. Right. You kind of mentioned you like to prep and work on the shot list in collaboration with the director. Um, for you to do your job at, at its best level of, of beautiful cinematography and storytelling, what does the ideal partnership look like between you and the director, like through production? Mm. Yeah, I think it's like having a director that has enough time to focus on on visual storytelling because sometimes pre-production can be chaotic and they're like still casting or like still rewriting and their mind is not really on like the end physical product so i i like when when you have like the presence of mind and the time to like really focus on shot listing instead of like scouting or something. Is there anything you would uh, recommend for those directors that are kind of starting out or maybe early in their episodic journey, uh, things that they should keep in mind to help them get what they want Mm. visually out of an episode? I mean, if it's television, I mean, I'm sure there's like many different DPs and some DPs may not allow them to like, collaborate visually as much and because they feel like they're more knowledgeable about the style of the show and but I think if if you're able to like collaborate with a VP and like sort of learn about the rules of the show but you also are able to be heard and and like bring your own stuff that's the best way to do it anything to avoid like do you have any um you don't have to name anybody, but uh, <laughs> but like you know, is there anything that you've you've experienced where you're like that's not really gonna help you out, Mister or Mrs. Director or Ms. Director? That's not gonna help you achieve what you're looking for, because you know you know so well like all of the prep that you do, and it can be the most beautifully blocked and staged and covered sequence, but then you actually have to shoot it and, and work with people, right? Like, has anything ever happened where you're kind of like, uh, that's one thing for um, a director to avoid? I mean, I guess television is tricky because for directors, because you have so many people having an opinion about the way you should do things, like the showrunners or the writers and the DP, and, and you have to, like, hold your own ground and, like, be clear i think i think as long as you're clear but also open and flexible and then i guess also being aware of the time you have to achieve things 
and like not setting yourself for failure. And I guess as a director, you also have to be very diplomatic. And unfortunately, like I think if they people like you, they'll do a lot more for you than if you're fighting it. Right, right. Do you have any interest in transitioning to directing? No. <laughs> Firm no. Firm no. <laughs> not at all? Like, not, not even if you, like, the right story? Uh, I mean, it would have to be, like, something incredibly personal that I deeply, deeply cared. But I don't, I feel like I don't have the, um, yeah, it takes something special to be a good director. Like, you have to really connect with actors and, like, be more emotionally connected <laughs> and I like I see I I see art more through images or frames or like yeah I don't yeah emotions are not as clear to me as they should be to a director would you say that you find like you your 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 output for that is through the frame and the lighting and 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 you know how you want to shoot something yeah, I feel like that's my language. What's up, everybody? This is Theo Travers, TV writer and currently executive producer on Billions on Showtime. Certainly hope you're watching, and I'm glad you're listening to Let's Shoot with Pete Chat. How to Succeed as a Creative Professional is Pete Chapman's upcoming book about his journey as a director. What started in 1993 has been a marathon full of persistence and creative pivots transitioning from indie filmmaker to teaching at NYU's acclaimed film school, to running a production company, to directing television and commercials, and ultimately eyeing a return to the feature films that gave him his start. A mixture of how-to, self-help, and inspiration, this book will be for any person eyeing a successful career in a creative art. How to Succeed as a Creative Professional is coming soon. So, episode five, season two, Barry... Yeah. So that's a um, that's what is that Barry versus Lily? I think is the is the title of that episode, and I'm I'm sure viewers have seen or listeners viewers have seen that. Um, it's got it's just crazy, right? <laughs> um, you've got this crazy uh, fight sequence uh, throughout the whole episode, and it's all like shot in a in a beautiful way like how how did you approach that like when you got that script what was your um what was your approach to get ready to put a camera onto that yeah i mean bill Hader, like he's he's a complete film buff and he's like really disciplined and he's really hard worker and he's very secure of what he wants and kind of almost minimalistic and he had a really clear idea of what he wanted that episode to look and, and he wanted to not like over cover the action sequences like because usually you break up action stuff into tiny little pieces to like enhance the drama or make them look more dangerous and like he wanted kind of the opposite where the camera just like watches for a long time and it's like these elegant like moves that last a lot longer and I think I mean that that was definitely his stuff and it was fun to like choreograph things and also because it was a younger girl and we had like some wire work and it was interesting like staging those scenes so that 
they would work on the longer cakes. Have you done a lot of uh, wire work or anything with like more heavy stunts prior to that? Mm, I mean, on Barry, there was a, a bunch of other like stunt work, like cars exploding and like mm-hmm. guns and all that kind of stuff. So it's it's fun, but I think what what I like about Barry was it wouldn't really enhance the violence visually like it would just kind of watch it yeah i mean that's i think that's what uh works for that show it's such an interesting premise and then just watching it all happen makes it feel more real um which is which is nice what would you say has been your most challenging character to bring to life visually Mm, i mean i think there's characters that i can connect more like emotionally and they feel more clear to me and I feel like a much stronger like sense of what the image should look like or what their POV looks like and I find that maybe more fun and like tingling my artiness uh-huh. but then yeah like if it's if it's more objective or like you, yeah, you you kind of tune into like the language of of the show or or I don't know. I guess it's it's also like harder when it's like a lot more characters and you have to like see how like perspective shifts from one to the other or whose story it is or mm. like how how do you make it cohesive? Right. How do you like how do you keep it from just feeling like a, a, a kind of a semi-documentary but like really have a different perspective for how each character views the world is that like kind yeah of, mm-hmm. i think you just don't want to be generic i think i mean everyone can do a wide shot close up close up but then you get bored yeah yeah no i i totally agree it's um how and how can you how do you balance that actually how do you how do you balance um not getting bored and being creative right but also you know on the other side of these days of shooting and a few days of editing is going to be a group of people looking for coverage right um like how do you balance the the requirement of like making it creatively interesting but also satisfying what the suits are going to need um to feel like the episode is covered? Mm, I mean, I guess it depends on the show. Like, I think there's there's projects where, like, um, the showrunners or the writers, like, they they want it to be interesting and they want, they want it to be special and they don't want, like, the same thing. And then there's other shows where, like, people want, like, more choices and like, to be more safe, mm-hmm. and I guess you have to be lucky and work on the good good ones. Did you make a concerted effort at any point to seek shows that were more open to a creative visual style? I mean, you want to always pick the best things and but then they always have they also have to pick you, so it's kind of a balance. <laughs> yeah. I guess you try to to work on the best thing that will want you too. 
Yeah, that, I mean, it's all, it's interesting. It's that's the challenge, you know, because it's like you could want to do like for me, I was like, I want to do premium cable. I want to do premium cable. And, you know, it took took a little while before it, it got to that point. Um, but it's. Yeah, but that's that's just the, the challenge of trying to find yeah, a I place to work. You just have to do your best with where you are and mm -hmm. you can't get to the next step unless you've done the other ones. And Right. I think you always you always learn something from each project, and you always meet people, and, and you need to build trust from other people to hire you and give you a job. And what's been your biggest learning experience uh, making television in the last few years? Well, I think I think television the the challenge is like. Oftentimes it's like different directors and you get used to one person and then the next person comes along and you have to like know them again. And, and, and sometimes you really enjoy it and other times it's not as easy. And I think that's, that's a learning thing to do. And also like I'm more of a collaborator and I like to like kind of bond with, with that director and not fight them or not. <laughs> even the rule of the law and so that's kind of like the balance on tv like how much you guide a director and how much you work together and and yeah i mean if it was a movie like you always i mean the director has the final say but on television like you also have to keep everybody else happy as well right 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 how do you see the covid protocols affecting what we're going to do moving forward because for those that um might not know they've had a few different ideas some are actually being employed in different parts of the country uh or in canada but like what five pods it's like the director the dp and maybe the script supervisor are in are in their own pod and then the director can go and talk to the actors and it's like this really separate world of production um how do you how do you view that changing what you're able to do and and uh perhaps you know the challenges that come with that yeah i think it's a horrible nightmare <laughs> 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 i hope it's done soon uh, yeah i don't know i mean it's kind of really difficult like you're so used to being all together and like right. that's part of the fun of making a movie where you can collaborate and I don't know, not, not be afraid to. I have this hope, uh, and maybe this is rose-colored uh, glasses or something, but I have this hope that because if we if we go back and that's how we have to shoot, hopefully we, you know, can get to a point where we can shoot normally and people will wear their mask and we can get to that point sooner. But um, I feel like maybe people will be more prepared And there might be, it, with the fear of not being able to collaborate like normal, maybe every director will want to talk to you and go over the shot list and build it out together beforehand. And actors will know their lines because we're shooting fewer hours and there's no time to, you know, shoot four takes before you know your lines. And everybody will like be a little bit more prepared and ready. But I don't know. We'll yeah, see. Yeah, I mean, I'm... Um I'm supposed to start a show in October and uh, I think I think the projects that will 
Manhattan are like more contained or more like stage based and mm -hmm. like you have to yeah be more prepared and yeah I guess it's a learning curve but you definitely want to keep everybody safe right well to that yeah so what what's up next for you mm, it's called physical it's a a new apple show and the director of the first um, um episode is called Craig Gillespie, the guy who did okay. the Itonia and uh, Million Dollar Arm. Mm -hmm. It's set in the 80s, so it's pretty cool. And if I'm not mistaken, did you not work on Million Dollar Arm? Like yeah, in, I, I, did in, a, I did second unit on Million Dollar Arm many, many years ago. And now you're working with the same person, maybe more closely, right? Like, did that kind of work out? Did that... Uh, did that job kind of tie into this one or was it had having done little America with Apple TV that helped? Like how did that come to fruition? Cause it's always interesting to hear how those relationships pay off sometimes in ways that you might not have expected. Yeah, I, mean, I think it was more the producer who liked my work and I don't know, but I mean, it definitely helped having worked with Craig before and they obviously hold him very his opinion very highly and then uh, yeah i mean million dollar arm was crazy what i had to do because i was doing second unit in india and and uh, the main crew they were all the americans working together and my unit was just me and all local crew so it was a lot more fun and they had a ton of extras like 400 like baseball scenes or slum stuff and and uh, there was also no second unit director so I was doing my best to wrangle everyone it was really fun sounds like you were uh directing and ading <laughs> a little bit yeah. um do you take photos when you're on 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 these like in South Africa or in India like are you also like an avid photographer well I think I've lost that a little bit because I don't know I feel like sometimes now when I'm traveling, I rather just be peaceful and like take it with my own eyes rather than be constantly working. I, I mean, I feel like I work so much and I'm always like focused on images and frame and light. And so when I'm traveling, I just want to enjoy it and be present. That totally makes sense. Um, well, here we are. We're, we're about to turn the corner. Um, I do want to ask you, I like to ask folks to paint a picture of the industry in the way that they'd like it to be or envision it could be at its best. So if you had the keys to the industry, how would you, what would you change? Whether it's about cinematography or, you know, storytelling or inclusion, you know, what would be of utmost concern to you to make things better in this industry we work in? I mean, I think I've been lucky to work in projects where they do have in mind inclusion and they don't want to make like the obvious choices when they hire someone, like they, they see talent and they don't hire someone because they've done it a million times or like, I don't know. I mean, I guess some roles like you expect Oh, a cinematographer has to be like an old, der <laughs> male. Like I don't know, they have like stereotypes of what certain 
worlds look like and and I think slowly like those things are changing and people have trust in people that uh, sorry people trust people that they wouldn't have before so I think that's been like some of the good part and then I mean I, I do have worked on a job where unfortunately some of the bad behavior was still allowed like just people being like kind of openly aggressive or like just because they're older or they're louder they can sort of intimidate younger crew members or and i think that really should not be okay or allowed anymore yeah i feel like that's uh slowly changing as as us folks yeah, kind but of there's still some push in um but yeah no i I've, horrible you know, people I, out there yeah 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 I've, I've heard stories from people too like uh uh, even like uh, uh, women who are directing, you know, more and more in TV. And I'll be like, that's bananas. You know what I mean? Just like sometimes like just the the things that happen between the crew, you know, um, or the um, diminish, diminishment of their authority, you know, challenging them on things that you know they would not challenge a dude on. Um, and yeah, it's just, it's BS, but as more and more projects are made, you know, I think, uh, I tell folks all the time, like, I think when we did Insecure, that might've been the first time I think that I noticed a woman as a, as a dolly grip. I'm pretty sure. Right. And I, and I was like, I've, I had never seen that on another, on another set I've been on, which is kind of crazy. Yeah, I mean, I you think know? Insecure definitely makes an effort to, like, hire people that like just to be inclusive and not to like do the same obvious choice every time yeah well here here i have a couple lightning round questions for you so these uh should be hopefully relatively easy whatever comes to mind um who are your three favorite dps and why mm, i mean i, I love sven nickvist uh because I Ingmar Bergman, yeah, right? Ingmar Bergman. Like I definitely grew up watching Bergman films, and they were the first films that I thought were kind of magical. And I didn't quite know back then what was it about them that I loved. But I think it's definitely his cinematography, and so I love him. And I, I also really love the work of Weekends, of course. Like I think he's very. Uh, like everything he does looks different and he really blends into the project. And he's extraordinary. Um, and I like also Harry. <laughs> yeah, these are these are very good choices, uh, as expected. What's your favorite uh, Bergman film? Mm, Fanny and Alexander. Really? Okay, okay. I was watching again, I mean, I, I've seen it many times, but Eight and a Half of Fellini, and it's also like incredible cinematography. It's so, like, immaculate. Are you a fan actually. of Autumn Sonata? Mm, I don't, I haven't seen it in a long time, or I, I don't think I have. Yeah, that one's, I love that one, I love that because it, it has um, Ingrid Bergman in it and Liv Ullman and their mother, daughter, and it's just, it's a beautiful story. Um, what are you binging right now? What should people check out on, on Paolo's recommendation? Mm, well, I, I prefer to watch movies, actually, because 
When I watch a TV show, it makes me think of work. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, also, I don't really like to watch things for hours and hours. Mm. So I think, yeah, movies are more interesting for me. And the last question for you would be, what three personality traits do you think someone needs to make it in this industry? Mm. Yeah, I guess a little charm helps. <laughs> uh, I think being open, but also confident. And I think, um, yeah, doing your work and, and like, yeah, I guess at first people are not going to give you an opportunity unless like you've tried long enough or you've like persisted long enough and you just have to keep the flame going until it works so out. Do your work, keep the flame going while having some charm <laughs> and being open but confident. I agree. Well, Paula, thank you for joining. Uh, always great to talk to you. And I'll be looking out for, uh, what was it, the show called that you'll be shooting? Physical? Physical. Physical. All right. We'll see. Whenever that hits Apple TV, I'm paying my $4.99 a month. So <laughs> I'll be watching it. Thank you. Bye, Pete. Thank you. What's up, people? This is Pete Chapman. Follow me on Instagram and on Twitter via at Pete Chapman. Follow the pod on Facebook on our Let's Shoot with Pete Chapman official page and hit up our mailbag with questions, suggestions, or hey, donations if you're feeling like it via Let's Shoot with Pete Chapman at gmail.com. And just in case you need to know how to spell it, that's Pete with the last name C-H-A-T-M-O-N. That was Paolo Widobro, cinematographer. Hope you enjoyed that interview. Uh, lots of things to take back for all of my directors out there. I think uh, there are some jewels and gems to take from that interview as to how you can really best coordinate and collaborate with a cinematographer. Um, it's all about finding out how to speak their language and uh, if not in the same terms, at least with uh, some clear communication so you can convey what you're looking for uh, out, of, out of their camera and their eye and how they move the camera and all of those good things. Um, next week, we welcome Aya Cash for episode 13. You should check out The Boys on Amazon season one uh, in advance of our interview. Uh, I think season two will drop next Friday, so we'll get a little bit ahead of that. Um, you may be familiar with her from You're the Worst or from Fosse Verdon. Uh, a lot of different great work, um, good friend, great talent, and I think uh, we'll have a great conversation for you to listen to on episode 13. Uh, before we head out of here, of course, I want to thank my team, my producer and editor, Tristan Nash, my announcer over here, Kelly McCreary, and my assistant producer, Jada George. And so with that, everybody stay safe, stay blessed, and spread love.